Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. Over the course of the past decade, the industry has seen a tremendous increase in the sophistication and cost of medical treatment options, including enhanced care of newborns, groundbreaking cancer treatments, and pharmaceutical advancements like gene and cell therapies. These have created potentially big wins for patients with challenging diagnoses, but has also brought a continued trend in rising claim costs. As the costs have grown, so has the need to ensure appropriate coverage is in place with a carrier that has the right knowledge, experience, and financial stability to help protect each client's bottom line. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, sponsored by HM Insurance Group, I am joined by President of HM Insurance Group, Mark Lawrence, and Eric Berg, Senior Vice President of Reinsurance and Partnerships and Operations at HM Insurance Group, to discuss the importance of stop-loss coverage amidst this continued trend in rising claim costs. Welcome to the podcast, both of you. Mark, welcome back. Before we dive in, would you mind just briefly introducing HM Insurance Group to our listeners who are not aware and why it makes sense for you both to be here speaking about stop loss and then everything else I mentioned as well? Sure. HM Insurance Group is a wholly owned subsidiary of Highmark. HM is about a $1.2 billion premium stop loss company. We also have a little bit of managed care reinsurance business, and we're starting up a a general accident health reinsurance business called HM Specialty. But HMIG has been around for many years at this point as a, a known industry leader in the stop loss market. We're a national company, do business in all 50 states. Eric and I, as the president, right? I've been in this president role for about three years now, was the um, head of underwriting before I took this role. Eric's been with us for about two years. We both have a pretty long and deep background in the stop loss industry. So we're excited to, to get here today and, and have a chance to, to talk to you a little bit about what's happening in our business. So while everyone knows that the potential for extremely high cost claims exist, many employers can still be taken by surprise when it happens in their plans, particularly if they have historically good experience in this area. So what are the expectations that these employers should have for claims in this current market? Basically, what we see is that the highest dollar claims happen really in kind of a an unpredictable manner. So like the idea that an employer can predict or should know what's going to happen with their plan, I think is really kind of a fallacy, right? We we what we think is that employers should buy stop loss protection that protects them from that unexpected stuff. And you know, Eric and I have seen a lot of examples of really what I would call, to me at least, surprising high dollar claims that I don't think anybody, you know, we spend 100% of our time on this business, thinking about this business that we don't see coming. So I don't, I really have no idea how an employer who's 
busy trying to run their own business, whatever business it might be, can think about and sort of plan in advance for what we're, what, you know, the kind of stuff that we see here. So like, um, maybe I'll just mention a couple of the different kind of claims that we've seen. During the pandemic, right, we had a, a young lady that had a claim that from the ground up was a little bit more than $6 million related to COVID. She was, she was very sick, essentially in an intensive care unit and being helped with breathing for a number of months. And thankfully got well enough to feel better to jump out of that hospital and, and jump to another one where she received a double lung transplant, right? So was essentially sick for a little bit more than a year. Now, the good news with her is that she was young enough to withstand a lot of the treatment that she received. But I don't think that when the pandemic was getting started and even well into a year into it, we, we were thinking that we could see a $6 million claim from that. And then just maybe one other quick example for me is, you know, we had one of our clients who was a school district who had a, a young teacher that was driving to school in the beginning of September and, and got into a car accident. That car accident claim for her ended up being a little bit more than $5 million. So again, like all of us are familiar with the idea that, you know, we've had car accidents, we've had our friends and family have car accidents. It's very unusual, right, to see a claim of that kind of volume pop out of out of what is, you know, not exactly like a unexpected type of an event happening. You guys may not be surprised by these numbers anymore because of your experience, but I am certainly surprised by some of these really high numbers. So obviously these are some surprising high cost claims, but can you tell us about some surprising claims that you've seen recently that nobody would have expected? You know, I, I was thinking a little bit about this before we got on today and we're recording this on September 11th. So I now in my 50s, I have white hair now. When I started in this business, right, my first job was as a life underwriter. And our claims department would send us back claims that happened during the contestable period and ask us to take a look at them to see if they should, you know, I guess I'd say correctly be contested. And and one of the claims that I had was for a 27-year-old woman that died during childbirth from an amniotic fluid embolism. And that was like the first time I really remember working in the insurance business and just having my jaw drop because I'm thinking to myself, like her husband and her kids must be so devastated, right? She had two older kids at that, at that point. Very few people die during childbirth today, right? And that was just like a really totally unexpected event. And so like, again, like not something that you would think coming to work in a day, like that's, you know, but that does happen, right? It's, it's rare, but it happens, right? The other thing that, you know, we're recording this today on September 11th, and I was working for an insurance company that did, you know, accident catastrophe covers for, for life insurance companies on September 11th. And, you know, we had literally at the employer that I was at then, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of gross claims we had in our in our office, you know, a year after 9-11, we had binders filled with death certificates from people that had passed away. It's hard sometimes, like we don't always, we're not, people are not very good at sort of forecasting or foreseeing what the very worst thing is that can happen. But, you know, it happens, um, you know, with kind of, unfortunately, what I'd say, like, you know, my big joke, Eric and I used to live in New Jersey at the same time, like, you know, I'd, we'd, I'd watch the weather there and it'd be like, this is the sixth storm of the century in the last 10 years, right? Like, I mean, sometimes you just kind of get sort of swept up by the fact that so much stuff is happening and it seems, it seems terrible. So, you know, when we think about that from a health point of view, right? Like we are often, or sometimes I, I guess I'd say sort of shocked ourselves, but the reality is like, we've been doing this now for a long time. We're kind of pros at this. 
And so, you know, I kind of look at it like there's very little that shocks me anymore at this time. It is like you just mentioned it, right? You're kind of shocked at the numbers. I go home and talk to my wife. She's shocked at the numbers. I talk to my dad. He's shocked by the numbers. But, you know, this is the business that we're in. And so it's really an interesting thing to me from my from my end of the world is the employers, right, that buy our coverage should be focused on buying coverage so that they can sleep at night and run their businesses and protect their their income statements and balance sheets, right, from from the claims that are going to happen. You buy coverage from a good company. Those things get looked after for you, right? HM steps in, right? The, the employer's buying a financial cover from us to protect them against all these bad things. You don't have to sort of be very good at guessing what they might be or how big they might be. You just buy the right coverage and go about your everyday life and worry about running your business the right way. And And that's really, I think, in a lot of ways, what HM offers is for our employer group clients, the ability to just kind of sleep easy at night and say, okay, like that end of my business is looked after. It doesn't really matter what happens there, you know, I'm, I'm covered. Yeah. And I would add, similar to the point Mark made earlier, you know, giving the example of a car accident claim we looked at, the reality is, was when you're trying, you know, employers are trying to manage their balance sheets, you can't account for the exposure of everything that happens in the world. So as somebody who grew up in the New York area, watching the New York news every day of my life before school, before work, and in the evenings, it's a depressing delivery of a lot of bad news, right? And and what you realize is, is that those that are injured and, and suffer some of the serious consequences of what happens on the news end up being our, ultimately our insured risks that we're responsible for and not something, again, that a company would want to have on the balance sheet. And I think back to a claim we saw, Mark and I saw years ago, well over a million dollars. There's a gentleman who worked for a local small group employer, went to a house party one night, normal house party. No, I don't, it didn't sound like it was of a uh, animal house, wild frat party variety. Some sort of kerfuffle happened at the, at the party and uh, the gentleman got shot. And again, his employer ultimately would find out that their self-funded health plan would be responsible for some of those claims. But they certainly didn't think when they when their office closed on Friday afternoon that one of their employees was going to have a, a bullet go through, you know, major organs and, and have that be a cost on the business. That's a good spot where, you know, the stop loss again designed to protect against those sort of unexpected catastrophic exposures, was able to step in and and do what we are designed to do, which was to help protect the finances of that company and that business in the most surprising of circumstances. Those are definitely some good examples of some seriously surprising claims that they would not have expected. So as we've discussed, employers and plan sponsors, they can't always be prepared for these surprising high cost claims, which is where stop loss comes in. But are there any options in the market that could address the rising costs? It looks like there are some one-off programs being offered or options for differences in coverage, like maybe captives and carve-outs. So what are you saying? Yeah, so I, I think it's a really good question, right? And I think one point I'd probably make is that there's a lot of talk in the market today about things that can be done to manage these things. And I, I want to sort of stop for a second and sort of attack that 
premise a little bit because to me it is human nature to say like to provide some kind of illusion of control over things that are sort of that are sort of happening in front of us but again what i would say is if you look back talk about really kind of any of those individual claim situations that we talked about individually right those jumbo claims they're very infrequent they're very unpredictable and the amounts right can get like really enormous in a way that stresses the payer of you know the ultimate payer of the claims and so like one thing i think a lot about is like it is kind of there is a sort of a luck element to some of this stuff like lots of car accidents like we're talking about events that are happening at the very far right end of the bell curve right so when we get out to that far right end of the bell curve in terms of the probability of these of these really jumbo high dollar claims like i don't know that it's fair or even sort of right to be talking about providing some level or degree of control over what's happening there. I think what I can say, and I'll, I'll let Eric sort of jump in here in a second, is that, you know, we do have some tools in our toolkit to help mitigate the costs of some of these claims from a cost containment point of view. But again, I kind of look at it like if people think that either they as an employer or we as a stop loss company can kind of, quote unquote, manage some of those situations, I think that that is probably an illusion I'd like to disabuse people of. And I'm probably using stronger words than I than I should have, but it I find myself getting a little bit more excited on this on this category because there there are certainly lots of people and again many of the people that are selling these programs that are like, hey, we can do this, we can do that. And again, some of them are great and some of them work. But at that very far right end of the bell curve, I feel like there's a lot of bad stuff happening and a very little opportunity to sort of truly mitigate the risk. But I'll let Eric jump in now with a little bit of kind of what we do have available on the cost containment side. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. And I, you know, what's interesting, you know, the best way we were able to control costs during the pandemic was we avoided some situations because people weren't driving, right? And th those are things that no vendor can stop or, or, or help piece together for a health plan to control costs. It was on that side, sheer luck again. To Mark's point, though, we at HM and, and, and with a lot of our TPA and other administrator customers we work closely with, use a lot of cost containment programs where we believe we can influence the cost of what's already happening. We have very little control over as a stop loss carrier over steerage or determining the level of care that's admittedly not our business. And a lot of these situations is very hard to control anyway. But we work with a number of vendors on the cost containment side that either, for example, may be able to provide a better network solution, a better network contract that we could access to ultimately pay the facility or provider less than, than what we may have otherwise thought we'd have to pay. That helps us. That helps the employer uh, ultimately in keeping their claim costs down. We utilize that at, at normal facilities. We also have, you know, arrangements for example, for specific services like organ transplants or gene and cell therapy with certain facilities and, and contracts we can access to ensure that those costs are, are in line, at a minimum in line with where they should be and, and try to generate savings as much as possible. There was, a, in part of the question was, you know, captives controlling costs. A lot of captives have presented a number of different point solutions. And I do believe if you have a population of employees at an employer that ha is exposed to certain health risks or factors that that some of those point solutions may be effective, you know, from a 
from a large claim perspective, diabetes management programs and the like have been been a huge help in helping to control costs. But um, again, to to Mark's point, though, you know, ultimately the health industry is a giant bubble, and you know, the reality is is that there's always going to be some sort of cost shifting that occurs. So if we find a way, historically speaking, to control some costs, there's a bottom line that these providers need to hit as well in terms of revenues as well. So in our industry, it's always exciting because it's always, well, what's the next way that somebody is trying to make up the income that we are not paying in claims? We meaning self-funded employers or stop-loss carriers as, as a reimbursement. And I'll just give one quick example of that in practice. And Mark will probably recall this years back, we had a large hemophiliac claim and and anyone in our business knows that hemophiliacs are probably the bread and butter of consistency when we talk about high dollar claims. We had an individual, very strong provider contract with a a medical facility, 80% discounts off of the build charges that were going to be exposed. Didn't think we could do anything more from a cost containment standpoint. It turned out that hemophiliac on a type of factor drug to help control a bleed from a, just a everyday related injury that the individual had. The hospital facility gave the individual massive amounts of factor to the point where they were giving three or four shots a day of effectively $250,000 worth of factor drugs. So, so despite a strong network contract, I'm certain that ultimately that hospital profited off of that individual and, and their treatment. And, you know, I'm not commenting on whether that treatment was appropriate or not, you know, with, with a, a drug that didn't have any risk of overdose, there's certainly room for excess in there, right? And and what we ultimately saw on that individual over a course of a year was well over $40 million of billed charges from a, one facility, which ultimately at 80% discount was roughly an $8 million claim that had to be shared between the the employer and the and the stop loss carrier. Yeah. It was one of those ones where I think we were we were supposed to feel good because we were getting an 80% discount, but in the dollar terms it really didn't feel very good at all, right? And I think the one thing we learned uh, was that there is apparently no toxic level of factor medication, so you know, it can just keep on being being given. So again, from our end of it, right, there's a lot of different parts to this uh, to this equation, right? And I think Eric brought up, a, you know, there are some point solutions that are helpful. There are sp- some specific network arrangements and contracts that we can access that can be helpful. But at that very far right end of the bell curve where those highest uh, claims occur that are very infrequent, right? It is, it is very tough to substantially sort of knock down what's, what's happening there. And again, I think that for uh, employers, right, you can make a lot of different decisions along the way, but I would I would think that your average employer would really want to work with their broker to focus on top flight stop loss coverage that's going to respond to all of these different situations and, and be there to pay the claims when they do happen. Again, for most groups, those really far right end of the bell curve type of things are not going to happen and certainly not frequently. But when they do happen, you want to make sure that you've got the right protection in place. So speaking of that, what would you say is your philosophy for delivering the right protection? What should employers look for in a carrier? So I think this is actually one of your best questions because it's simple and, and, and pretty easy, right? I think essentially, right, an employer that is agreed, that becomes a self-funded entity, right, they are becoming their own health plan. And so 
there are huge jumbo employers out there, right, that don't buy stop loss coverage, but most of the smaller companies, and by smaller, I might mean even like 10,000 lives and under, right, those, which is the vast majority of employers, those companies are, you know, becoming their own health plan and funding their own claims. They are essentially, right, to a degree, renting our balance sheet to finance our healthcare claims over a certain dollar amount, right, for specific coverage. And for those that buy aggregate, you know, in the aggregate for adverse events that affect a lot of people, you know, at one time. And so from my point of view, it's this is really not that complicated, right? You want to have a carrier that has excellent financial strength, that has a long-term track record of paying claims, that has people running the business that know and understand this business, that sort of get it, and that, you know, the broker that the employer group is working with has worked with them before. There's a track record there of getting stuff done. Again, by stuff done, I mean, you pay your premium, you get your claims paid. This really should not be that complicated of a business. And so, you know, from an HM point of view, we try really hard to live up to that end of the bargain, right? Our employer group customers send us $100 million a month in premiums. In return for those premiums, we're expected to pay their claims when they come up. And I'd like to tell you that our business is a lot more complicated than that, but it's really not. Our employer groups put trust in us to do the right thing for them. And, you know, our job is to sort of turn around and do the right thing for them when when bad things happen to their employees. That's what we do. I feel very fortunate that, to work for this company and, and in this business because it is a real eye opener, both what happens and then like how as an insurance company, we step up and, and help those employers uh, fund claims for their employees that have been that get really they're really sick. To your point, to Mark, you know, the long track record, uh, reputation of being a company that pays the claims it should is critical. As somebody who is a, a former litigator, I get a lot of questions from people who have placed business with other companies, some companies I've never heard of, right, that will come to me and say, I have this claim situation. They're not paying my claim. What would you do? Ordinarily, my first reaction is, well, we would never not pay that claim. I can't believe you're in this situation. I'm sorry for you. But the reality is sometimes, you know, you get what you pay for, right? And we at HM take a longer view of the relationship. When we issue a stop loss policy, although it's year to year, there's real strength and value in, in maintaining our, our relationship with our policyholders for multiple years, us getting to understand their experience better, them getting comfortable with us. So you know, company-wide, we, you know, we try to target a very high persistency to keep our customers and keep them with what we know is working, knowing that customers can go out any day of the week and, and find another carrier, any carrier. But again, when you're, you're trying to protect your balance sheet, you know, the key is making sure you're working with a carrier that's going to be there to help you do that and not one that you have to fight with or end up in court, you know, trying to get your money out of. Is now time for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So, what are we toasting to this week? Well, I'd like to toast to, to everyone's good health. And for those of us that are in the stop-loss business, uh, a toast to get us through this very busy renewal season. Our team is out here cranking really hard already, and I expect we will be for, for another couple of months to come. So, that's the toast from HM. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for NAPIP's Healthcare Happy Hour. 
the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit nabip.org.